Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jesse Billington, and we are back for the 2024 Formula One season. And when I say back, it is finally time to lay down some predictions. We've had testing, we're going to flip through some notes from that, and then it gets into the meat of the year the actual racing so we've got to make some predictions to see what's going to happen and i say we because i'm joined as always by ellie may taylor and timo albus daly how are you both i'm good thank you how are you i'm doing all right had a busy weekend managed to clean the mg and um did my motorcycle test cbt so uh now legally a motorcycle rider once again up to the capacity of 125 cc's so exciting times timo how about you i'm very well thank you and looking forward to talking about testing more so than I thought it would, just because there was some actual interesting technical stuff going on, which I suppose is what testing's for. And admittedly, there was not much else going on in the world of Formula 1 this week, which is rare for this year so far, and kind of a weird way of how this year, I feel, is going to go. It's either going to be put to the floor on everything happening at once, or there's going to be nothing. It's going to be all gas or all break. It's either on or off. It's looking like a fairly binary season for excitement. But yeah, you're right. Testing was an interesting testing this year. Um, as ever, back at Bahrain, Bahrain International Circuit for testing. And usually it's kind of a tricky thing to try and read into. You never know what fuel loads people are running. You never know what programs people are doing. But there's some interesting sort of gaffes and bits and pieces that we can sort of piece together from this. And um Wednesday opened up with Williams suffering from a fuel pump issue. Album pulled off at sort of turn one, two area. Didn't seem to be a major issue, and the car was back in the pits before the end of the session. It would, however, delay the start to Logan's running in the afternoon by about an hour. Nothing particularly sort of worrisome there, sort of essentially fine-tuning and figuring out what weak links are going to be so you can prepare them ahead of the season. One of the things that was noticed early on was Lando Norris running a very nice uh, Gilles de Ferrand tribute helmet as well, a nod to the team member and former IndyCar racer who passed away over the winter break. So really nice touch there, actually. I quite liked it. It's a nice-looking helmet, so um, no complaints on the style side either. Wednesday continued on to the afternoon with Williams still having more issues through the rest of the day. A gearbox issue for Sergeant curtailed his already short running. A um, shift from third to fourth was bulked and saw him slink to the pit lane it seems to have been a drive shaft issue coming out of the mercedes sourced gearbox it's a 2023 source uh, spec gearbox judging by the pull rod rear suspension which mounts to it um, which is counter to this year's merc box interesting they've changed their rear setup and design so um some interesting notes on what the setup's going to be and quite what mercedes customer teams are getting from mercedes when they purchase it does seem the car I've was the one the on the williams as well some interesting design pieces shall we say kind of obviously like a lot of the cars that they've been inspired by last year's red bull but then you've got the front wing is a bit interesting and you've got the cooling louvers i suppose is is the technical name for them they've they're worth of maybe a little talking point i think as well yeah i mean there's some interesting designs cropping out around the field mercedes have got a very interesting front wing which is legal it's legal um, is the, the key word to that. Yeah, the question people are asking of whether it is within the I think it's within the spirit of the it's sport just, or the design which I always think is, is the kind whole of you're supposed to be pushing frustrating it, yeah. yeah you can it's kind of the whole double diffuser all over again it's like well if you've not written it strictly enough then that's on you and the whole point of this is everyone wants to find loopholes and if they find it then close it by all means later but don't be annoyed that someone's been able to manipulate something you've written yourself so yeah. this whole spirit of it is like, well, it is in the spirit, really, isn't it? Because that's kind of what this is all about. Yeah, you're a sport populated by like 100 of the best sort of motoring engineers that the UK and Europe has to offer. And you're annoyed that all of a sudden one of them's maybe found a better way of interpreting the rules than you intended. But yeah, there's a couple of teams. Oh, we don't that even running... know if it's better yet. It's just different. No, it's different. So... This is the crucial thing. There's... A lot of teams have gone for quite a wide nose as well. A lot have gone, gone for sort of a broad, flat nose. A lot There's been sort of a step away from the very sort of pointed arrow style that we certainly saw last year. There's, um, like you mentioned, there's Which the louvers along the back. Extenuated a little bit on the Williams with the dive plate, is it, on the outside of it? Normally they're pretty small, but this one's pretty big in yes. comparison to yeah. other ones. And just like, I'm again, it's hard to know what to make of a lot of these things that are being noticed on the cars because you're not entirely sure how much of a positive impact, if any, it's going to have. But you've got to think something has made them want to try it at least and hope that it's going to be positive because you're never going to put anything purposely bad on the car. 
Mm. But then you're like, well, it's still very early days. We have no idea if this is actually going to do anything good. But you kind of hope, in William's case, at the very least, because we all love Williams, mm. that they have something that will benefit them. Yeah. I mean, the cooling louvers, we're seeing them all in different positions mm. along the back of the car. Some people have even got them running down the actual spine of the engine cover as well, which is quite interesting. Well, Ferrari were just like, no, 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 not just one. We're going to do like... 20 different versions of this mm. and try everything. But when it comes to different engine covers, I think the biggest change we've seen is Red Bull, who've sort of taken yeah. Mercedes... Adrian knew it really looked at Mercedes and went, I can fix you and I'm going to put you on Red Bull for this year and see if I can make it work. And he it's seems almost, to have. Yeah, it's almost as if Red Bull was so dominant last year that Adrian knew he had time just for fun to try other concepts from different teams and found a way to make sort of that Mercedes zero side pod work and realised perhaps it's quicker. And it's kind of that almost a hark back to, I think, a conversation we had almost at the start of last year. We found out Mercedes were completely scrapping their car concept and Adrian knew he has always said or taken sort of the stance somewhere along the lines of something that he sort of said, he never understood why teams scrap a concept and start afresh. He's always had the, he's always thought, keep your concept. That is because he's Adrian Newey and there's only one of him. So if anyone would be able to figure it out and be stubborn enough to find a solution, it is going to be him. If everyone had an Adrian Newey, fair enough. But But it's going to be annoying for Mercedes, isn't it? That if you do- It's the cash point too, isn't it? On the one hand, like, we were right, it was going to work. It just, we couldn't figure it out. We couldn't make it work, yeah. Oh, so Red Bull have got this very narrow, very sort of vertical entry to the side pod, and they've got ducting that starts for the engine cover, actually behind sort of the driver's head, near sort of where the halo mounts to the rest of the chassis. It's really quite interesting. The Red Bull, the design. Yeah. yeah. on the Red Bull. Yeah. And it's sort of given it that bulky top side that the Alpine has formerly had because of bad packaging. So... It's interesting to see sort of this change in design, but yeah, there's certainly some interesting bits and pieces that we've seen certainly coming out the first day. Thursday was uh, going to be a relatively standard day of testing right until the moment that a dislodged drain cover caused circuit-wide inspections. There was no major damage Did to the Claire or Hamilton Did you see the Mercedes post about this later on? Was, after they posted the like, the, if I had a nickel for every time an F1 yeah. session was interrupted. But yeah, I saw that. I, I'd like, only have two nickels, but it's weird. It happens happen quite twice. They're onto something, really. It's happening mm. far more often than it should, especially after you think with Vegas so recently in memory that they'd make sure about these things. Mm. Other circuits out. would be reinforcing yeah. their drain covers, especially in an era where you're utilising the floor and creating this ground effect, this sort of vacuum beneath the car. Surely more and more circuits are going to be looking at stuff on their track and going, John, just put some extra glue around that and maybe tape that down a bit better because... So almost expect to yeah. see Clarkson going under the hammer, just, just making sure. it, just nailing it into the ground more. But yeah, so um, Thursday morning was cut very short um, after the drain cover, and then we moved into Thursday afternoon, which nothing too significant to note really, but some excellent racing action off the back of a practice safety car restart, and it very much took Magnussen by surprise as a whole flock of F1 cars just came absolutely blowing past him into Turn One. Um, Perry, so he just struck me as that. Is it with the Miller's uh, meme of, wait, you guys can race? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You guys have got race pace. Oh. Um, Perez had the engine mode play havoc, but it wasn't really a major issue. I think you sort of set off into sort of doing a lap after some tweaks and the engine just sort of decided that eight, about 9,000 RPM was just the one speed it wanted to do. So you had to sort of sneak it back around the circuit, come back in, hardware reset, and off he went again. But nothing too big really coming out of the Thursday apart from that drain, which reared its head again on the Friday, where my notes simply read more drain-related bullshit. Um, it delayed the session very early on, so what they ended up doing was simply jamming the morning and afternoon sessions together into a giant eight-hour-long slog. Um, seen on the other cars another point was actually um both of you have seen the film ford versus ferrari or le mans 66 and le mans 66. yeah uh, i think <laughs> in europe it was le mans 66 america it had to be explained a bit more clearly in the title is ford versus ferrari um but one of the things that's used in that when they're testing an early prototype gt40 is the ball of wool and drive around the circuit and see where it's being lifted up around the car mm. Funnily enough, Mercedes and a lot of other F1 teams do still use this. It was actually seen in action on the Mercedes on Friday, where they just simply gaffer taped bits of very fine wool to the car 
and were driving it around and seeing where and what sort of bits of the wall were activated in the airflow, which is very interesting. As amusing as that is as, as something that is still used, but also if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Did you see the post that then got deleted by McLaren about the Kicksalba F1 car with the airflow paint? Oh, the fact that um yeah, the they had, Kicksalba looked it, like it, it, looked, there was, it looked like it was the McLaren, over there, and yeah. the caption was oh, I think someone sneezed on this and the comments went in exactly the direction you can imagine they went. <laughs> With lots and lots of likes, and then the then McLaren mysteriously deleted the post. I was like, oh, that's a shame. I was quite amused by that. I went to the comments thinking someone's got to do this, and someone, several someone's, had already beaten me to the punch. Yeah. So I thought, oh, good, good. The internet is still an excellent place for this. Yeah. So it was it was a fairly interesting span of testing, actually. A lot of teams seemed to really be working through their run plans. No issues. Salmon McLaren suffered from a few issues across the weekend. Um, the form were actually pulling apart a gearbox for much of the last day of testing. But otherwise, it all seemed to go relatively, from the car side of things, without too much of a hitch, which is good and sets us up for a very interesting season. We've got some varied designs of cars, some varied performance from what we've seen, but again, can never read too much into that. And uh, the first year in a while, isn't it, that Salber have made their own gearboxes? They usually buy them from Ferrari, I believe. Yeah, I, you could be right on that one. I haven't heard whether or not that's falling under their sort of purchased componentry rule or if it's something they're doing themselves. I, I think uh, because they're now starting to move away from being sort of a works Complete for customer team. team in, yeah, yeah uh, customer team rather. Yeah, weaning themselves off slowly so they're not completely alienated by it when the time comes. Yeah. So I think I'm right in saying Hass was starting to do that as well by sort of getting their own gearboxes and bits and with varied success but that's also half i think it's interesting as well to what we were saying before with the williams with their front wing design and about what is going to be a positive change and what's a negative change but obviously we have no idea yet it's interesting to see some of the small things that have changed on cars as well just to see what benefit that would bring because if you look at the minardi i'm going to call them today the, wing the mirrors. side mirrors, yeah. yeah, the wing mirrors. It's the little wing mirrors. Like, design. I'm, you think that like, it's going to be? You're just curious about how that. You can't see that being a massive benefit, but at the same time, there's got to be something small there that you wonder how much. Then, if they do, you're not going to. It's not going to be responsible for a massive jump in performance necessarily. I'll be very surprised if that is the case. Like it's all the wing mirrors, but you're just curious to see all these little bits and see if you got rid of those and you really piled into the data. If we get really bored one day, how much that impacts this sort of thing, and again, how much. All the cars, I mean, if you look at it, Aston Martin has um, stayed all copied like the Red Bull from last year, but then obviously Red Bull's copied Mercedes, <laughs> weirdly, and seeing how much of that gap is bigger or shorter now, because then you will see what the evolution is from last year's Red Bull to this year's, and how, let's say, in the family guy, Simpsons crossover spirit of it being inspired by... <laughs> Red Bull instead of copy pasting is actually going to help or hinder or if it's easier to follow your own development path in a way that others maybe have done yeah. more of and how much of it was straight simply, out being inspiration yeah, yeah. how much of it was simply inspired by the Flintstones everything comes down to aerodynamics doesn't it really even suspensions if you look at the way the sort of the blade arm designs are sort of put together it what sort of front and rear suspension you use depends on how air is flowed into the floor into the side pods and into the rear wing depending on whether you're talking about front or rear it all sort of comes together and the way that the push rods or pull rods work and actuate things really have a huge difference on sort of the ride you're able to get from your car as well and if you want a car that's set up to be pliant if you want one that sort of squats a lot more and thus has a bit more sort of rear end grip or if you want one that doesn't squat so much and a bit more snappy on the rear there's a huge variance in what you can actually pick up and set up between your cars. But I mean, when you see that with the, the air scoops as well on the noses, on some of them, they've got like either two little bits or one bit, then you look them down from those, and it's got the massive hole in the front of the ones you can barely see where it's supposed to be. And mm. it's just, again, it's always interesting as well because testing at Bahrain for teams like McLaren, where in this era at least, they're not very strong there. And how much of this is maybe we're just going to sacrifice Bahrain at this point and we're testing this just for the data 
mm. that it's not necessarily going to help us in Bahrain anyway because he's only got a week of turnaround and it's only one Grand Prix out of 24 this year yeah. anyway. But how much is like, yeah, this isn't, this car's going to look very different next week because we don't care or it'll look exactly the same, but then you won't see it again for ages because it's just for testing purposes here yeah. and the Grand Prix and we're hoping that it can lead to something later on in the season like they did last year where it's kind of, you're going to be coming up coming out the gates a lot stronger later mm. and this is the thing like possibly they'll have the same car for Bahrain and Saudi but as soon as they get to the likes mm. of Australia Japan China it could be a vastly different car entirely like I should think a lot of teams and Japan I think modified... this year in particular would be quite interesting just if we use McLaren as the example because obviously they did very well there last year because it's so much earlier in the season if they can reap the benefits of it or if they're still going to be slightly on the back foot yeah that's sort of testing very much brushed over. There's a few other pieces we ought to mention just going into the season that we've sort of neglected to touch on previously. And one of them is actually there are shorter qualifying sessions in sprint quali or the sprint shootout. The sessions are shorter, adding more pressure to sort of the qualifying for the race with very little pressure. So, yeah. The good news is the highlights reel that I'll be watching of it will be shorter, so less time wasted. Well, the highlights reel will probably just be the same length as the original sprint shootout <laughs> at, this, at the rate they're cutting time out of it to try and make it exciting like they've shaved hey, off like two that works for me days. if it's shorter that means we can get through it quicker and get to the main event in more important slash interesting news actually this is the first year in the sports history that there's been no driver lineup change over the winter break we've somehow glossed this over to this point and it's actually quite interesting to note especially when there's a very spicy f2 season about to kick off and a lot of seats possibly about to open up so after a recordly dull year on the market that could all be about to change come sort of may time really well, it's already kind of started if we yeah for next year so We've got one seat that's opened up, and it's a very interesting seat, but equally loads of other seats that are going to be opening up that are also mm. quite interesting because of what they mean to either young drivers moving into the sport or drivers looking to really capitalise on their chance to do something interesting. And I think with this year, I'm not expecting anything, which means I'll, I'll get this for everyone's apologies, but I'm not expecting anything massively to happen on this until the summer break just because if we see well by then we should have an idea of how much the gaps have supposedly closed up so you'll see and uh, have an idea of how competitive 2025 will be as a season to see if it's like 2021 where yeah you had a big title fight at the front but everywhere else was pretty close together on the whole and you've got a mismatch of podiums here and there and everywhere kind of what we were supposed to get on a bigger scale with these regs but we haven't and if that's possible next year, then you might think all these drivers with contracts that might sign one-year contracts to stay and try and make the most of it and then leave. Or if it looks like it's going to be another Red Bull washout, then you might be wanting the fresh blood, for example, from F2 to come in, bed them in for a year so that at least whilst it's all new in 26, you've got all the operational kind of stuff sorted out and they're all used to how the team works and this sort of thing. Again, it then just gets interesting because... As we've seen previously, just because you've extended your contract doesn't mean that you will stick to it or be pushed out by someone else. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting balance to be struck. But it's just fascinating. This is the first time in over 70 mm. years that we haven't had driver lineups change over the winter break. Obviously, between it's a weirdly really interesting and both statistic at the same time. Yeah, between the starts of the two seasons, between the start of last season and the start of this season, there has been a change. But in the winter break, crucially, so mm. between the end of one season and the start of the next, it's the first time there hasn't been a mix-up, which is quite fascinating. Moving on to something a bit more clerical, um, the reason we've got two Grand Prix coming up on Saturdays, so crucial to remember this, is um, to avoid essentially the Saudi Grand Prix happening during Ramadan. What? Includes Formula Two and Formula Three. This obviously includes yes. This obviously includes Formula Two, Formula Three, and F1 Academy, which of course kicks off in Saudi. Saudi. Yeah. Um, so why has Bahrain moved if it's only Saudi Grand Prix that would be happening during Ramadan, or has been moved to avoid it? The FIA specifies there must be at least seven days between Grand Prix. So by shuffling the Saudi Grand Prix a day earlier to avoid the start of Ramadan, they've had to obviously move the Bahrain Grand Prix a day earlier to keep that seven-day window between the two. So perfectly logical stuff, but again, it's. It's things that previously the, the sort of calendars never really had to deal with because we never really went to any sort of strictly Islamic countries where they would have to sort of follow the rules of Ramadan. So it's an interesting I like it though, because combine that with the races we're going to afterwards, at least in our time zone, will be all very early mornings. And with how 
many of us are maybe expecting the season to go. It'll be nice to kind of have most of our Sundays free for like the first five or six rounds of the season, even ugly going into Miami because that'll be late for us. So if it is not the exciting start that we hope for the season, at least we're kind of minimizing the damage in some way there. And we've kind of got a bit of our days back to ourselves and we yeah. can fill that in with more motorsport. From a, UK, yes, from a UK-centric standpoint, it's not wiping out an entire weekend. At best, you're sort of losing a Saturday or you're sort of having to wait all of a Sunday until F1 kicks off or you get up early on a Sunday, F1 happens, and then you make coffee or something. But yeah, it's interesting stuff. Move away from F1 quickly to something else that happened over the weekend just gone, and Ford have smashed the unofficial lap record at Bathurst. So this is Mount Panorama, the mountain circuit out in Australia where they do World Touring Car Championships, they do the Aussie Supercars. Absolutely fantastic circuit. I love playing on racing games. It is so much fun. Um, Mercedes, literally the weekend prior at the, I think it was World Touring Car Series, brought along an AMG GT3. It was a completely unleashed thing, a bit like Porsche's 919 Evo. Basically, everything turned up to 11. What happens if we sort of make this the silliest thing within its specs? And um, set a lap record. And everyone went, wow, that's really impressive. Then Ford rocked up last weekend with the Supervan, uh, essentially a 2,000 horsepower electric transit, uh, launched it Always up. Always reminds me of the Top Gear episode. Yes, yeah, the, the transit with the XJ V12 in it. Um, essentially rocked up with a 2,000 horsepower transit van, pointed it at the mountain and bagged a 1 minute 56, 3247 second lap. So very, very quick round there. So an unofficial lap record because it wasn't held within a race session. Um, and that happened ahead of the Bathurst 12 hours, which is a Aussie supercars. Event, so I was going to say, well, we mentioned that. Did either of you see the highlights at least of that race? I because that no. was a corker of a race, and some incidents in there that you're genuinely scratching your head at to figure out the physics of how that happened. Um, but really, a very good race in there. And if either of you haven't seen it, and anyone else listening who hasn't seen it, there are extended highlights on YouTube for free, and you've got to love the people about us for making that available for not, and I'm not asking for us to pay for it because, oh, it was good. I'm going to go and watch that back because I do like Aussie supercars. It's a bit unruly. It's sort of upside down NASCAR. It's great. Uh, speaking of NASCAR, though, pretty much a three way title line for Daytona. <laughs> oh, incredible oh, stuff. No. Sorry, you were on about Daytona, even. Yeah. Oh, Sorry, well, there was it, top, it, to it topped. The, Daytona, Daytona was the whiteout on the last on the last lap, wasn't it? They, yeah, that, that was entertaining. Was... But the race over the weekend we just had in Atlanta. I don't know if you saw any of that. That was it. Atlanta was the three-way What we can line. hope for, yeah, three cars wide going of line and the timer going. There's, uh, there's literally zero point zero 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 seconds separating them. What do we do with that? <laughs> yeah, they went down to sort of literally the freeze framing it by the mark, just getting up the line like proper cars territory like it's live action pixar at this point it was sublime you also, so. you also had the very unfortunate business in the xfinity series which is basically their formula two equivalent i want to say of two laps to go yellow flag comes out so here's extra time and then extra time buggers a bunch of people because they run out of fuel, fuel. because even with oh. fuel management so the guy that had led the majority of the 160 plus laps lost it in the last three laps and just you see him coasting off to the side you're like this poor man he's done everything right here's the thing like we're getting lined up for a season where we're going to be excited if someone finishes within 30 seconds of max verstappen why do you meanwhile, think i'm watching nascar high yeah meanwhile this is what NASCAR, to. <laughs> they're going down to like 30 microns between the top they're three taking cars. The piss, quite frankly like if you want an exciting series i think ultimately while it is it's brash and a bit ignorant to really keep calling NASCAR childish or just put your foot down and turn left. It's it's a bit more nous than that, and it's proving to be a good series. So if you want something exciting to watch outside of F1 and outside of IndyCar... Very casual, easy really background like watching. Yeah. And yeah, There is also just... a Drive to Survive for NASCAR on Netflix at the moment. Yeah, I, I watched that. That's really kind good. of why I was keeping it. It was all right. It, it kind of shot itself in the foot slightly by focusing on everything that happens after, like, folks like on the playoffs, which is like the last 20, 16, 20 races, which basically mm. means the entire first bit of the season where you've got like 30 races ignored, mm. irrelevant. And it's like, this doesn't matter. This is where it actually starts now. And 
Yeah. If you want to get if you want to get into NASCAR, it also explains why they race around a football stadium at one point as well. Because that was earlier this month. Yeah. They had one of the tiny playoff races. And it is sort of literally you're lucky if you can get three cars wide and barely sort of topping 120 along the straightest section. It was an entertaining docu series though, so I would recommend that if someone's looking for something a bit different. It's nice. There we go. We'll move back to the world of Formula One. And as the season gets ready to go, there's some important things to bear in mind, which are some stats and records that could be toppled this year. Andrea de Cesaris has the record for the most Grand Prix starts without a win at 208. Nico Hulkenberg currently sits on 203 race starts. So we'll be hoping, hoping for a good opening five races to avoid leveling with de Cesaris. At worst, he can... Um, sort of win in Miami and leave the title tied. Um, Hulkenberg also has the unfortunate record of most race starts without a podium, the same 203 races. His teammate also crops up in this category of statistics you don't want to be on. Magnussen with the unfortunate distinction of most race starts without ever leading a lap, which is really impressive. 163 race starts, never led a lap in F1. I don't know how we make it happen, but I want Hulkenberg to get that because I just like the idea of De Cesaris having that record still. I don't I don't like it too much when a really old record's beaten by in an impressive way by like a uh, number of race wins, for example. It's a shame in some ways that Schumacher doesn't have it anymore. But you were but you can't disrespect the record because it's just so impressive. Whereas this one you're like it's just fun, but this is still a thing. At least Schumacher's still alive to see the record get broken. De Cesaris died in 2014. Oh yeah, so. but you know it's still fun to be like when you know when you look in a in a in a book or something like oh so and so still holds the lap record for this place and, and they still actually go there. Yeah, it's like please never beat this because it's just fun. It's like Montoya this still holds it in like Italy or something. Yeah, yeah, or like one of the Italian layouts. Montoya Kimmy's, still holds it. Kimi yeah. and Massa have some in places. It's it's odd. Yeah. There's some that still kick around. From one Scandinavian to another, Bottas currently holds the record for most career points without winning a championship, 1,797. And given how fast Sauber is looking this season, I'm not going to be staking any money on that changing. There's a You're going to be crof- unbearable this year, aren't you? That's a crofty level pun. Come on, he's going to do it at some point. That's not a level to aspire to. No, it, it is however a good point to mention friend of the podcast harry benjamin making the step up to doing f1 commentary for sky he's replacing crofty at a bunch of races this year and um yeah he cut his teeth Thank as you. a guest on this podcast so we can say that we are the formula two we helped shape him into the man he is today yes very much so um we wish him all the best he's a nice guy and can you clip that it's the thing we put on instagram so we can get lots of hits <laughs> crofty as well i mean I applaud him for the fact that he has almost never missed a race for how many? It was a baffling statistic. Yeah, yeah, he's attended. He's commentated on pretty much every like last race sixteen since, years or something. Yeah, like the, since it moved to Sky from ITV, bar one, I think it was, and that was it. And which was the point like, they had Murray Walker come back to do one. Like, and it's only going to be three. Yeah. At the moment. At the moment moment yeah he said there's there's scope for more which fingers crossed when people realize how good harry benjamin is that it could go up from there yeah he's very tall as well so hopefully sky have got a very high um commentary booth um i'm in with ant yeah ant's pretty tall um anyway uh moving on from my terrible stake puns to the final record that could be toppled this season and this one genuinely could actually and it's held by lando norris after a fairly successful 2023 campaign he's now won 13 podiums which ties him with nick heidfeld who achieved 13 podiums before leaving the sport halfway through the 2011 season with lotus norris has yet to top the rostrum so runs the risk of usurping uh nick on that record so essentially he's um yeah if the next time he steps on a podium, it better be to win. Otherwise, he beats the record. So, you know, most podiums without a win. So no pressure on either Nico Hulkenberg or Lando Norris. Yeah. This is Otherwise, the perfect they... time for teammate wars and Piastri wipes him out as soon as he's able to do something. But we'll get on to um, Norris versus Piastri and, crucially, if McLaren win a race, um, who will it be? Because that leads us nicely into our predictions, actually. And if you've been paying any attention to our social media feeds, we put out a call for you to fill out forms. We had some responses. Genuinely surprised about that. We did have people fill out the form. Don't say that on the podcast. 
I'm not going to say how many because it's really disappointing. Um, (laughs) We had people fill out forms. I've done the maths this evening. I've figured out what the general public believes this year's season is going to look like. And it's interesting. It's pretty similar to, I'm pretty sure it's, if not identical to what Julian Palmer's predicted. Was was it just Julian Palmer that did our... It could be Julian Palmer and seven other people. Unless Jolian Palmer seven other friend, seven friends to do this. I doubt Jolian Palmer listens to us. If he does, hello Jolian. Nice, nice to have you listening. Um, so the general public, they we sort of averaged out their answers. And um uh, we've sort of come to a conclusion. So so when it comes to constructors, the general public have picked Red Bull to win, Ferrari second, Mercedes third, McLaren fourth, Aston Martin fifth, RB sixth, Williams seventh, Alpine eighth, Sauber ninth, and Haas a resounding tenth. There's a few points where it was close in the voting. Uh, certainly Williams Alpine was um, 0.2 in it, really, 0.25 in it. But um, yeah, otherwise fairly clear cut when it comes to constructors when it comes to drivers i think it's kind of obvious who they picked to win which was max verstappen um 1.375 came out to be his average finish average predicted position um then it's a big gap to lewis hamilton in second on 3.625 charles leclerc third sergio perez fourth carlos Sainz fifth lando norwich and george russell tie on sick on sixth but on count back it's lando ahead then george and se- uh, seventh Fernando alonso essentially finishes eighth pierre gasly ninth daniel ricardo 10th oscar piastri 11th esteban ocon 12th lance stroll 13th alex albon 14th yuki Tsunoda 15th bottas 16th hockenberg 17th magnuson 18th sergeant 19th and joe Guan yu 20th yeah. who practically doesn't exist if you watch drive to survive yeah mm-hmm does not show up at all really in the latest season shows up even less than max who opted out of taking part max turned up more not racing at the very start of the first yes, playing paddle. the actual racing season yeah so a fairly straightforward one there no major surprises a lot of faith in daniel ricardo i think seeing him come up um where he does um so I think yeah, it's, it's a bit of a make or break season for both of the drivers in that team really because if uh, Minardi have been able to make the gains that everyone thinks they have then we know what Ricardo is capable of in a good car and we've never really seen Yuki have a truly decent car so it'll be interesting to see what happens there and arguably like Ricardo is fighting for his career and Yuki is fighting for that Red Bull seat regardless of what he's doing and if he's not going to get that he wants to show the teams on the grid what he can do but I'll be very surprised if one or both of those drivers are still in that team in 2025. So it's going to be interesting to see, like you say, how historically with the statistics, people people who are really getting back on the Ricardo hype train and really wanted to happen for him. Mm. I think there's obviously a bit of a hype train for Pierre Gasly as well, because he's predicted to come home ninth. So Pierre Gasly... I missed that one. Yeah, Gasly ninth. I've, I've got the numbers wrong on the document. I'll get it to refresh. Hang on a second. So that's actually... Gasly 9th, Piastri 10th, Ricardo 11th, and then Ocon 12th. Oh, Gasly's not going to finish higher than Piastri. Mm. Yeah, so Gasly higher than Piastri, but Gasly that high up seems to put a lot of faith in an Alpine that doesn't look great. Are we suspecting the French have answered our questionnaire? Maybe. But you're also being realistic about it in a certain way. Someone German had a pop at us on Twitter earlier late last week as well, which is quite interesting. What did you say? Um, I was kind to them, and I said that we... No, I meant why were they taking a pop at you? I I didn't say anything. They blindly mentioned us in um, just a random... They were replying to a random tweet. I'm assuming they might have been looking for another Undercut podcast and accidentally mentioned us. There is only one. The original and the best is us. They were replying to a Formula Racers tweet, and um, they the Formula Racers tweet was Max Verstappen's race simulations were ominous. The RB20 showed basically zero tire degradation across all compounds, apparently. And then Real Chris replies in German at Undercut Podcast. 
Ich will nicht mehr. Wer soll in stoppen? I've changed it into English. I don't want any more. Who will stop him? He doesn't make any mistakes. His engine is far too reliable and no one will crash into him because he's already out of a second after turn one. And I'm like, he, the German isn't wrong. Um, but also, why is this our problem to solve? I don't know why it's our problem to solve all of a sudden. Like, I don't know why you I don't mind taking it. it on, but I don't want, I want to know what the rules are for this because otherwise we're going to getting very quickly into all kinds of shenanigans. Yeah, so I did reply to him fairly politely. We're still holding out hope that Ferrari and McLaren have got a good package together. Testing looks promising, but it's hard to tell. Only one way to find out. So I thought, well, if, if it means well, he's now going to listen like to Harry Hill used to. Yeah, that would probably be quite destructive. Um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting what the general public have picked for their driver lineup. I think the top three, especially Lewis coming home second in an unproven yeah, they came third last year. And that was in a Pratt Mercedes. So yeah. well, the, the constructors came second. They came second as constructors, and he well, did. Yeah, but right. I'm saying if that's what yeah. they can do in a bad card, then maybe an unknown one is better than a bad one. So far, mm. we'll have to wait and see what happens there. When it comes to drivers on the podium, this is the third question we asked you: was um, which drivers do you think will be on the podium this year? And Max Verstappen, eight votes. Lewis Hamilton, eight votes. Lando Norris, eight votes. I shouldn't say eight votes. That gives away how many people answered this. Uh, Let's start it again. <laughs> no, I'll carry on. It's, it's not a secret at this point. Um, Lewis yeah. Hamilton, uh, uh, Max Verstappen, and Lando Norris topped out the predictions there. Other popular votes were Sergio Perez, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, uh, George Russell, Oscar Piastri, Fernando Alonso. Uh, Ocon Gasly also appear with votes in this list, as do Sonoda, Stroll, Sergeant, Al and Albon. Sergeant is going to be an interesting one there and could cost the general public when it comes to scoring at the end of the year. I, start I see Sergeant is more likely than Stroll, to be honest. But I don't know. I'm willing to be proved wrong in that case. I'd like it more. Hmm. The next question we asked was, which driver will have the most DNFs? And it's an interesting spread. We've got Hulkenberg, got uh, some voting, Zhou Guan Yu, Daniel Ricciardo, Logan Sargent votes. But in the end, it's come down to a complete tie between Kevin Magnussen and Esteban Ocon. So, what do um, so many people have against Nico Hulkenberg? I don't know, but more people have something against Kevin Magnussen, so don't, don't worry about him. He's doing fine. <laughs> To be fair, Ocon's the more understandable one of the two, though, because I feel like when Kevin crashes, it's more because of someone else or the car giving up on him in a really inconvenient place, a la Mexico. Yes, as opposed to Esteban Ocon, which is simply Pierre Gasly right, turned into an Australian to my teammate. <laughs> Um, speaking of the French drivers, the French para Alpine, um, the French feud question is back from last year. I quite enjoyed it. Um, Pierre Gasly got 75% of the vote. Esteban Ocon got 25% of the vote. This was who scores higher. So general public's got a good view of Pierre Gasly, doesn't think very highly of Esteban Ocon. So my question is more, what people got in for Esteban? I think it makes sense that people have gone for Pierre if Ocon is having the most DNFs. The general public have voted with a bit of intelligence there. I'll give them that. So the next question on our list was which team will have the fastest pit stop? Now, last year, McLaren had this title. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, bit of a left field choice there, given how badly their season started as well. They seem to really pick it up as it went on. So include it on this year's poll. And 50% of the respondents said Red Bull. Uh, Ferrari got 25%. And McLaren got 25%. So the general public have gone for Red Bull. We'll see if anyone can top that. The next one was a very interesting question, which was, who replaces Lewis at Mercedes in 2025? Uh, Alex Albon got 25% of the vote there, actually, which is quite interesting. Kimi Antonelli, 25, 12.5%. Mick Schumacher, 12.5%. Fernando Alonso, though, came out as the winner with the sort of greatest stake in the whole in the votes. Uh, so a lot of people think Alonso is going to be making that move, which is... I wouldn't be surprised. It'd be nice to see Mick in a way just to see what he could do, especially if the Mercedes turns out to be good. But I'm surprised no one has said, and I'll say it again because I can't remember if I've said it on a podcast yet, Vettel. So you said that over on the big prediction show. Oh, did I say you? it there? Okay, perfect. Yes, yeah, you, you, you've written it. Um, we'll get to our predictions in due course. Okay. I wasn't sure if I'd said it there if I'd gone for something more sensible. but. So I don't know if I want to change any of those predictions yet. We'll find out in a minute. If I, need to be I will be taking a screenshot of that and you will not be changing anything. I will be 
Are we making... if, it, if, it, if anything, the changes won't help me. They'll just be more ludicrous. This is also better. This is true. Knowing knowing your ability to make guesses, I could probably take away everyone's editorial ability on the Google Sheets. To be fair, um, so the next question on our list was: If McLaren win a race this year, who wins first? And it's 50-50 tie for the general public. 50 percent of them say Lando Norris. Fifty percent of them say Oscar Piastri, which is interesting especially given the season they had last year once the car got good and both of them understood it they were pretty level pegging so it's it's interesting there and i think it'd be interesting when we get around to seeing what the friends of the podcast have picked as to that, what they believe that reminds me of i saw a tiktok that said um not everybody gets the same drive to survive picture in like the icon to promote it on netflix like to try and make you watch it, like the algorithm will pick the picture that you're most likely to click on and watch. Uh, like for Jesse, it's going to be Yuki. Yeah. Yeah. Who did you get, Timo? I just got a basic Formula Cars. One. Cars. I'm going to open up my Netflix not. now and see what it shows, what it tries to predict for me. Um, this- I mean, we, so we've only watched... I imagine it. you got Carlos signs. No, so we've watched it on the, only the first episode and we watched it on Dad's account. And we got Lando Norris. See, like, the little thumbnail that shows up for, like, the continue watching bit, that's Charles Leclerc. Mm. Ah. Very interesting. I wonder if they have that for every driver or if there are a couple of them, like... No, no so one is a Kevin Magnussen fan. Yeah, oh, they came again. We've already we've already beaten down on Hulkenberg. I can't keep picking on one. The stroll is right there. Are you, mm, maybe the first few episodes of Drive to Five really won me over on Lance Stroll. I'm oh, gonna... I'm glad you've watched the first episode anyway, yeah? Yeah. I just loved Lawrence attempting emotion. <laughs> it did not work. He's he's just such a Bond villain still. Mr. Stroll does not need a wristband. This sort of the whole preparation is that <laughs> big event. Like, hotel, he's like, he's got no half of that stage. It's like, oh, it's it's such a such a it's a weird little series to enjoy. Um anyway, we'll move on from who out of McLaren wins. We'll move on to the final question that I asked you. We did ask another question here, which we'll come back to in Oh, a summer break is a slightly sort of broader discussion point because it is quite interesting what we found out. So we'll go to which team has the most expensive season for damage costs? Red Bull got 14.3% of the vote. Mercedes, 14.3% of the vote. Williams, 14.3% of the vote. But two teams are tied. And unsurprisingly, it goes in the same way as drivers with DNFs. We're back at Alpine and Haas, both receiving 28.6% of the vote, which is... Very interesting. Which is funny because I initially put Magnussen as the most DNFs and Haas as the most expensive. What is everyone got against Magnussen? And then changed them. Oh, So that wraps up what we've picked from the general public and they will be acting as our benchmark. Previous years, we've used friend of the podcast, Ben Wellham, as the benchmark against our predictions because up until 2022, he'd never watched F1. So I simply said to him, look, fill out these boxes for me, man, and we'll see how it goes. And we had him on and he sort of explained his guesswork. He did really well for guesswork, which given the fact that there are 20 drivers to put in order, he did quite well on putting 20 drivers in the right order. Um, so this year we've decided to use the general public. We've averaged out their intelligence, and concerningly, the average general public has come out quite intelligent. We think. So we'll start with the constructor standings from sort of us and our friends of the podcast. I've got managed to accrue information from Has Chap Henry, Jacob, who regular friend of the show, um, Immy Cousins, who I had on over the summer last year, Georgia, my girlfriend, and Ben Wellham, who we've kept going just to sort of see whether or not he is more intelligent than the general public at this point. And we can't allow that to happen. We can't allow that to happen. But interestingly, only two people have said that Haas won't lose the championship completely. Timo, you're one of them. Haas Chap is the other one, unsurprisingly. He's put Haas in ninth, so have you. He's put Sauber in tenth. You've put Alpine. Why? Oh, yeah, no. I really hate their livery. 
<laughs> that's it? That's the reasoning? Yeah, so let's go with that. It's really annoying when you look at their livery and then you look at their whack livery. Thank you. Elimina has justified my choice for me. The whack livery is a good one. I'll give you that. But I don't think their car is going to be Hass levels of bad. Come on. It doesn't need to be if they keep driving into each other all the time. Or just engine blow up. From driving into each other all the time. I'm also making, I'll caveat all of the following predictions from me here by going, and if I have a sense of this prediction, we'll change it now before you screenshot it, because I I think I said to you in a previous podcast or off air that I'm not expecting much from this season, so I want to be outlandish and see if I can get minus points if possible by the end of the year. Yeah. But also, if I'm correct with everything, then we've had a heck of a year. And if Alpine are P10, when it comes to December, you're going to be looking at this going, oh, my days, we've got a new Ben Willem in town. Kind of like a QI. Yeah, you're you're trying to be the Alan Hmm. Davis of the podcast. I'll be in good company, at least. And for the non-British people. Yeah, for the non-British people. Yeah, go and find out what QI is and find out who Alan Davis is. I'm sure non-British people will know who Alan Davis is. So they were the only real standouts at the bottom of the constructors. It's a fairly mixed bag moving up through it. At the top, majority of people have said Red Bull. Um, Timo, Ellie Mae, and myself are the only people that haven't, actually, <laughs> interestingly. Uh, Timo and I have done the strange thing, which we rarely do, is agree. We've both gone for Ferrari. Mm. Ellie Mae, you've gone McLaren. Ooh. That, that ooh was not a good ooh. It, it's an interesting ooh. And it makes it makes me wonder why you're questioning my Alpine P10 if we're doing these kind of ballsy predictions from early May. It's because I think they've got a two like within their drivers, I think they've got a stronger lineup than Red Bull. And so I think overall they will get more consistent results than both drivers together, and it somehow means they win the constructors over Red Bull. You are remembering that Mercedes and Ferrari also exist, right? She is. She has backed this up when it comes to the driver's title, where she's put Verstappen winning, fair enough, Norris second, Sainz third, Piastri fourth. So at least sort of mathematically what she's picking is working out. We'll move into the drivers to keep this this show moving along. And again, at the bottom bottom of the rung there's there's an unfortunate repetition of Magnussen several times over, I'm afraid. Poor man. I don't know what he's done to incur this level of wrath. Um, I'm hoping I didn't put him last. (laughs) No, you put Stroll last. (laughs) The thing is, is I don't... It's not that I diss Magnussen, it's that I think this Hass is going to be really bad. It's going to... Then say Hulkenberg. But she likes it slightly. And Hulkenberg could at least qualify the car, so all it takes is one race where... It's a bit of a unnecessary piling on there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've picked Stroll at the bottom. The general public went for Joe, as we've found out. Sonoda is the bottom ranked driver for Haschap. Uh, Sergeant, bottom ranked for Imi. And Georgia has picked Joe at the bottom, which I think is quite fair. I think I don't I don't think the stakes going to be great. And I think Bottas is going to get more out of it this year. I don't know. I think their move away from. Ferrari components and into Audi might help them. Is that, is that happening now, or is there, have they got a little while to wait on that front? They're, I don't they're know. Still, yeah, but they're, they're starting it, aren't they? They're, they're starting their move away. I'm willing to be proven wrong in that instance. There's <laughs> a general sweep across the board, apart from one person have predicted Verstappen win. Take a guess who that one person is that wasn't predicting Verstappen win. Yeah, it was you, Timo. Yeah, it's, it's, you've picked Hamilton for the win, which is... I just think it would be a hell of a way to leave Mercedes. It's not the Hamilton win that's got my attention. It's the Piastri second ahead of Verstappen. <laughs> <laughs> what were you smoking? Any amazing favourite of that, though. Am I? 
Well, yeah, because it would. You put McLaren the in the McLaren constructors. At least one of their drivers has to be high up for that to happen. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, very interesting there. Haschap also predicting good things for Piastri this season. A P2 for him for behind behind Verstappen. Uh, lots of people suggesting it's going to be a sort of Leclerc-Norris battle against Verstappen this year. So we'll see how that one goes. Um, Timo's gone for a completely different line of thinking. When it comes to every driver that we're expecting to score a podium, this is possibly, when it comes to scoring, where the general public is going to fall down because they picked so many if you've picked a driver that doesn't score a podium, I'm deducting points. And if you forget to haven't picked a driver that doesn't that scores a podium, I'm also deducting points. So they've sort of gone for a bit beyond the average. I think essentially you want to pick about eight. They've picked 16. Um, so this could be the general public's undoing. So basically, um, just, they just haven't picked four. Yes, there are four drivers on their list they haven't picked. So let's see, they've got both Red Bulls, they've got both Ferraris. They've got guess, both... guess which one of them, guess just, Guess one of them that isn't on the list. Please no. Poor old Magnuson. Yeah, they haven't picked anyone from Haas. They haven't picked anyone from Sauber. So um, yeah, which I love the fact that the general public can play that Logan Sargent's getting a podium. <laughs> I cannot wait for I that. I love race. it. Triple podium in the American races. Haschap is gambling a lot on essentially being Haschap here. Um, Magnussen and Hulkenberg, both in the running for a podium this year by his measure. Um, yeah, we'll see how that one goes. Um, Going back to um, Sargent, it's almost very much like the Latifi finishing in the points before Russell, kind of. Yeah. It's doable. See, there's president for it. Oh. No, Russell finished in the points before Latifi did. He got the podium in... No, but Latifi got points in Hungary. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Wow, what a time. Anyway, so we'll move on from the very wild world of um, who's scoring podiums to who will have the most DNFs. And as we mentioned with the general public, they were split between Magnussen and Ocon. Ocon gets a couple of other mentions. Georgia has mentioned Ocon. Ellie May, you picked Ocon for a lot of DNFs. I've gone for Magnussen, and well, that's the one actually. Timo, you've gone for Stroll because well, bottom of your list, it makes sense for him to get a mm -hmm. lot of DNFs. Um, I have logic. The, he, it's flawed logic, but you're employing the rest of the. We the don't logic. know it's flawed yet. We do. You've picked the same as Ben Wellham. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's worked out occasionally for him in the past. So very again, true. I stand um, by my words. Sergeant gets a bit of a battering on this one as well from Haschap, Jacob and Immy too. So, yeah, an interesting balance there. Um, when it comes to the French feud, Esteban versus Pierre, uh, general public went for Gasly. Timo and Elie May, you've gone for Gasly. And everyone else, actually, in favour of Ocon. Myself, Haschap, Jacob, Immy, Georgia and Ben, all going for Esteban Ocon will score more points than Pierre Gasly. So... Wait and see how that one pans out. Fastest pit stop, it's a bit of a mix across the board, but again, I think it comes out in favour of, does a quick count, McLaren. It's four for McLaren, four for Red Bull, and one for Haas. Um, doesn't really take I wonder much, who that was. <laughs> doesn't take much logic to figure out who picked Haas. Um, when it comes to the world of who replaces Lewis at Mercedes, this is where it gets very interesting. Kimi Antonelli, two votes between Ellie May and myself. Timo, you've picked Vettel for reasons, despite the fact that he said he's not going to come back to racing. Um, yeah, they always say that, and then boom, they're back in a race seat. I would have expected that to happen with Vettel before now. Um, the general public have got Alonso. Haschap, Bottas, Jacob, Alonso. Imi, Albon, Georgia, Alonso, and Ben Wellham, Alonso. So general consensus is Alonso. I'm which... kind of intrigued that there's no wider variety. Bottas is an interesting one, I think. It Basically, would be kind of funny to see mm. him and Russell in the same team. Yeah. Apart from Timo and Hashchap, everyone has chosen someone with the last name beginning with A. a. Yes. Well, no. Antonelli, Alonso, or Albon. Mm. Why did you go, Antonelli? I think Mercedes He's is going to go for the gamble. 
I think they've got 2025 to install him into the team to get him set up and get him used to how everything functions ahead of the new regs in 26. They've got nothing to lose at this point. They've been off the boil. If they have a really good year this year, they might think I was going to say, you're also it. assuming that he has a hell of a year in F2, though. Oh, it's a big assumption he's going to have a hell of a year in F2 <laughs> because it's such a tight fight at the Which... top of that does make me wonder, actually, why have you chosen him? Because you don't really watch the feeder series. I've been... So you've just gone, yes. ...drip-feeding her the Kimi Antonelli love. It's... Please never say that sentence again. I think that... If he does well this season in F2, I think almost that Mercedes seat is a bit of a poison chalice that no one will want to go to because they'll all, it'll probably be on a one-year contract in the hope that then then Antonelli may join then in 2026. So no one and so they end up with no driver in 2025. So they say, Antonelli, do you just want to come a year earlier than we kind of wanted you to? So this then, I will justify my Vettel logic with some potential actual logic and go he'll go to join Mercedes in a similar way that Schumacher did, bend the team in for a couple of years, Kimi either does two years in F2 or does F2 and does Super Formula or F2 and something else, and then comes in in 27. The kinks are worked out by the experienced hand who gets a couple of wins and a bit of glory that he never really got Aston Martin and helps build the team back out again into a potentially championship-winning team and then lays the groundwork for the new kid on the block. Or then Mick Schumacher gets that seat. Here's the thing. If Vettel was coming back to racing, would he have not joined WEC or something for now because everyone's been clamouring for him to do that and he'd been interested in it. He doesn't want to do WEC. He wants to do Formula 1. He doesn't want to do anything, man. He's he's packed up racing. He's hung up the helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until, Until he comes back. Uh, we'll wait and see the next question was of course the McLaren question if McLaren win a race this year will it be Oscar or Lando who win it first and it's an interesting mix actually um, I've gone for Piastri Ellie May's gone for Lando Timo's gone for Piastri it was 50-50 with the general public we know um, and then it's uh, Ben Wellham Piastri Jacob Piastri, Haschap Piastri, and then both Georgia and Demir gone for Lando. So it looks like it's tipping in the favour of Piastri with this one, which is going to be galling for Lando if it happens like that. That's, I think that's why a lot of people have chosen him, because it would just be really kind of funny. It would almost be Lando's luck. The final question we actually asked you that we're going to deal with this evening was which team will have the most expensive damage bill? And I will say that I am now realising this relies a huge amount on that one chap on Reddit keeping a track of it and putting it all together but um, <laughs> cross that bridge that's going to be you now I, I can't be Chevy Catfish whatever it was that it's, was making that it's going to be the uh, the blitz from how I met your mother it's, it's passed on to you now oh no don't do that to me um, so it's you Timo you've not you've not read the question properly here I said which team would have it's, the most expensive damage but you put Stroll I think I know what I've written yeah. yes yeah you put a Stroll like is it going to be that bad that he he on his own scores worse than any is, team yes Okay, right, that's locked in. Thank you. Uh, general public went Alpine Haas. Ellie May, you went Alpine. I went Sauber. I think they're going to have some problems. Um, Haas Can chaps... I just interject a second? Multiple Alpines there. So my P10 and the constructors making a bit more sense because if they're crashing the car that often, they're not going to be getting any points. points. Yeah, true. But it's still going to be better than Haas. Mm-hmm. We'll wait and see. Um Jacob Williams, Haschap Sauber, Emmy Ferrari, which is an interesting one. Um, Georgia Haas, Ben Wellham, Aston Martin. Yeah. So, yeah. Similar. Yeah, he's thinking, he's thinking down Timo's lines, and I don't think that's a safe or sensible thing for a human being to try and do. Um, um, not sensible at all. Yeah. We'll get him some help. We'll get him some therapy. Yeah, if Ben wins this, we will pay for his therapy. Um, but yeah, there we go. Those are a very sort of jumbled run through of our predictions. I'll try and find a way of putting this together graphically so you can see it on Instagram or something. Um, and crucially, it's given you the crucial bits of information you need to know ahead of the season starting. We will be back with a preview of the Bahrain Grand Prix, though it'll likely be a little short because unless any major news happens between now and tomorrow evening, um, 
there's not going to be much to talk about other than our predictions specifically for the Bahrain Grand Prix. So um, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back again shortly. In the meantime, or at least in the next 24 hours, Timo, where can the people find you? Many places which will probably be in the description, but the one bit I will put out for now is on the Cubs pub chat where Jacob Kiara and I are talking about the whole Andretti versus F1 saga that has been going on for quite some time now and how the hell we ended up in this situation. So that's a fun lesson with probably the reactions you're expecting, which is a lot of disappointment in Formula 1. Fair enough. Ellie May, where can the people find you? Um, Probably at the horse's yard. Because, well, just pick any listener, she'll probably be there. Any horse's yard, she's got a couple of big pallets of hay and straw to offload and pack away properly. Oh, don't we'll keep it, we'll keep it, we'll keep it really bored, just chomp on herself. (laughs) We'll keep it upbeat at that point. Uh, In the meantime, if you want to find more of me, you can find me across social media on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube as at Jesse on Cars. And you can always find me writing for Classic Car Weekly. Our latest issue goes out probably when this goes out or at least when our preview of the Bahrain Grand Prix goes out and I can't remember for the life of me what we've got in it um, but it's good pick it up classic read it cars, enjoy probably. it classic cars a huge variety of classic cars um, so pick it up buy it read it enjoy it thank you very much for listening and of course we'll be back with some preview news and predictions for the Bahrain Grand Prix